Now, a few years ago, the Formula One racing team, Mercedes, uh, announced that it was going to encourage its 1,000 strong team of engineers uh, to do meditation, uh, spiritual meditation, or mindfulness, that sort of thing. Now, initially, they thought that it was only going to be a few people who would take this up, uh, but to their shock, even though the engineers, when they talked about it, thought the whole thing was complete nonsense, uh, actually signed up. They signed up to do some meditation. Uh, it seemed that they, this is something they felt they needed. Now, of course, they are not alone. I just pay a visit, a digital visit on your mobile phone to uh, either Google Play Store or uh, um, Apple's uh, App Store, and you see that there are many uh, mindfulness and uh, meditation apps. And in fact, as we look across our society, there has been a huge rise in that sort of uh, practice, uh, people longing for, uh, to engage in some of these things. Indeed, this, this stuff is many places of work, at school. It's, 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 um, uh, when my daughter used to attend school, she would tell me we have meditation hour. Why has there been an increase in demand for meditation, particularly Eastern meditation? Well, the simple answer is, I mean, of course, it's a rise of paganism, you might say. But I think at the core of it is that our society is increasingly restless, isn't it? There is a deep, we have always searched for peace, but we are especially now have a deep longing for peace. More than ever, we want quiet and rest in our troubled lives. You want peace in your life. You sometimes, in fact, often feel turmoil in your heart. Life sometimes leaves you feeling anxious, troubled, worried, fearful, insecure. So, of course, Mercedes are right, aren't they? We want to be at peace, but they are wrong to look to meditation uh, or other things for answers because that's just pepper over the cracks. Those things cannot ultimately bring the peace we long for. You know, to have true and lasting peace in our lives, we need to understand why we lack, why we lack peace in the first place. You can have a solution without a proper diagnosis. And the Bible tells us that life was not always like this. People were not always restless, not always anxious, not always troubled. When God created us, all of creation lived at peace with each other. There was peace between animals, peace between humans, peace between human relationship with the animals, peace between human relationship with the created order itself. That's how life was. And we had peace with God our creator. But as we read the book of Genesis, we see that that peace we enjoyed was shattered when our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. You know, we tend to think of our spiritual life as just a small part of our life. That's how we tend to think about it. I do other things, I do, I do this and that, but the spiritual part is just a part of life. But actually, the Bible tells us the opposite. Our spiritual life with God is not a small part of your life. It is the very essence of life. Because at the core, you are a spiritual being. Everything in your life is connected to your relationship with God. And when that's not functioning well, everything goes wrong. 
And so when we rebelled against God, it damaged everything. We lost peace with God. We lost peace within ourselves. We lost peace with each other. And we even lost the peace with creation. And of course, since then, human beings have recognized that, of course, and so they have been living, searching for peace. In fact, your life is constructed trying to find peace for yourself. We long to be at peace inside, and we long to live with peace with one another. But we can't seem to find the peace we are searching for. Did you see the news this week? There was a rich man who murdered his successful wife and their seven-year-old son. The wife was the head teacher of Epsom College, one of the most prestigious independent schools in the country, perhaps the top independent, in fact, was the independent school of the year last year, I believe. Clearly, money and success did not bring peace in life. It didn't bring them peace in life. Did you watch the Grammys this past week? I hope you didn't. Because the show was full of satanic worship and blasphemy. Open satanic worship. It seems firm is leading people to Satan. Many of our celebrities, to be honest, seem tormented by demons. They don't even know who they are. Fame, just like money, just like success, does not bring peace. It's not a route to happiness. Have you been watching Boris Johnson recently? Who do you want to be Boris? Who here would want to swap their life with Boris Johnson? No one. Power does not bring peace. And of course, there are many other places people look Searching for peace. Sex, friendships, hobbies, looking inside yourself. And of course, we talked about meditation, isn't it? The list is long. And none of those things can ever bring you peace. And the reason for that is because, as I said, the fundamental reason we lack peace in our lives is that we have no peace with God. The prophet Isaiah, writing 400 years before Christ in Isaiah 48, Verse 22 says this, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. What peace can a man have if he has no peace with God? The answer is none. Peace is a smile of God reflected in the soul. True inner peace starts with peace with God. And the wonderful news of the Bible is that God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, willingly put on our human flesh to be our peace bearer, to bring peace to us. He came to die on the cross to give us peace with God. Christ came to reconcile us by taking our place on that cross. He died to pay for the damage for the breach of peace we caused in Eden. You see, the penalty of our sin is death. Death total. Romans 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. This is what we owe God. But you and I are condemned criminals, spiritual criminals, 
We cannot pay the damage to restore peace between us and God. And the reason we cannot pay the damage is because we are not only condemned to die physically, we are condemned to die spiritually. We are under eternal separation from God. We can only be set free from our punishment if someone who is fully man dies in our place. But that's not, not just someone who is fully man, but someone who is fully God. Because what we need is not just somebody to die physically for us. We need someone to take the full wrath and judgment of God we deserve. And only God can do that. And the good news of Jesus is that Christ has done that. He died on the cross to suffer death for us. But more than physical death, Christ took on himself. The very wrath and judgment from God that you deserve. Christ is a perfect mediator who suffered the punishment of God on the cross for all who trust in him. And through Christ, through true repentance and faith with Christ, we can have peace with God forever. The peace that then brings peace inside and in the world to come. We live in a world of peace. God will give you this if you truly repent and turn to him. Right now, Christ will become your Lord and your Savior if you repent and trust in him. He'll become your never-failing friend, your protector, your strength, your joy, your happiness. Christ will be your Prince of Peace. He'll fill you with his grace. You will be your infinite source of peace. You will carry your burden in life every day. Oh friend, do you know what I am talking about? Do you know something of the peace that surpasses all understanding? Do you know something of the comfort of peace with God in Christ? Do you have peace with God? Have you truly repented of your sin? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you honestly say as you sit here this morning, I have been born again. Can you say God has given me this new life, this new life of peace in Christ. And I can see the evidence of this peace in my life. Oh, I don't come to church because I have to. I am here because I love Jesus. I do love him, you can say. Can you say that? He is mine and he means the world to me. Well, if the answer is no, then repent. Surrender your life to Christ. Cry out to God to serve you. Plead to God to save you from hell. Beg him to make you a true Christian. I'm not saying beg him to make you a church member. I'm not saying beg him to make you baptized. Beg him to give you new life. New life. Regeneration. True resurrection of the soul. Do not delay. Because your life is not in your hands. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today may be the last plea from God for you to turn from sin. It may be the last plea from God for you to find true peace with Christ. So don't reject his offer. 
Stop fighting God. Your arms are too short to box with God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You are too small to bear the wrath and judgment of God in hell. So go to him now. Receive peace with God. The peace that was shattered in Genesis. Now, if you are trusting in Jesus, truly trusting in Jesus, then you already have peace with God. You have already received peace through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are truly converted, I mean. If you are not, make it right this morning. If you are truly converted, you have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are living in union with the resurrected Christ. The Prince of Peace lives in you. And because Christ is in us, we are meant then to grow in having inner peace. Every true believer has a measure of inner peace. But that peace grows the more we come to know Christ. And as we grow in that inner peace, we grow in seeing the evidence of peace with other people. And now we live with one another. This is what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, the passage I want us to look at this morning. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. We finally arrive. It says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. What is Paul teaching us in this verse? What Paul is teaching us here is simply this. And it's a point one of your outline. He's teaching us that growing in inner peace grows peace with one another. As we grow in inner peace, we grow in having peace with one another. And this is the main point I want us to focus on. You know, just as a quiet neighborhood is made up of neighbors who are quiet in their homes, peace in the church increases as we each who are truly regenerate, grow in inner peace. Point verse 15, once all true followers of Christ who have already received inner peace to now continue to grow in abounding in this inner peace of Christ so that we can overflow with peace with one another. Church peace is inside out, not outside in. And this is clear from the central command in verse 15. That says we must let the peace we have received from the Lord Jesus control our inner life. Particularly the first line there says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now here's the thing. The original word here for peace is what? Irene, right? Irene. And it is often used to describe a peace treaty. An end to the conflict between warring parties. To have irene at one level is to be in a relationship where there is no war or conflict between people. It is a expression of fellowship and friendship with each other. But irene is also used to describe a state of calm and well-being. It is a situation in which there is no restlessness, no agitation, no turmoil, no anxiety, no worry in our life. Now, in chapter 1, Paul has already told us that the Colossians 
has already told the Colossians that God is on a mission to give them irene in the first sense. Irene, the end of war between them and God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We read about that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 to 22. If you just back up a little bit, it says this. We looked at this passage, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 to 22. It says this. For in him, that is Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making irene, peace, by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. For he's saying, if you have repented of your sin, and you're trusting in the death of Christ for your sin, then you have now have irene, peace with God through Christ. The war between you and God has ended. You are now a friend of God through Christ. You are not fighting God. You are now on his team forever. We might call this irene with God. Through Christ, we might call it external peace, right? It is objective peace. It is a peace that does not depend on your daily experience, right? It's the first sense of irony. Now, in chapter 3, verse 15, if you go back there, the passage we are looking at, Paul is saying this external peace with Christ that we enjoy in Christ brings inner irony, inner peace. We have the peace of Christ inside our hearts. How is it that the Christian has this inner peace, this calmness, this, this, this quiet dependence on God, this resting in God, this blessed assurance that we sang about? How does it come about? Well, it comes about in two ways. First, God has performed a spiritual heart transplant. If you are a Christian, God has cracked open your chest and he has removed your old dead heart. He has removed that dead heart corroded by sin and he has replaced it with his new heart created in Christ Jesus. You are now a new person. If anyone is in Christ, is a what? A new creation. Right? God has done that. Uh, you are a new person and your new spiritual life, new spiritual heart now comes with a new regenerated conscience. You don't look at sin the way the world does. You have a new conscience. Your old filthy conscience which condemned you before God is gone now. God has now given you a new conscience that does not condemn you before God. Yet it's a new conscience that is, that, that, that is sensitive to sin. It is a new conscience that means that you, you know in your heart that you have this inner assurance, this, 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 this assurance that I belong to God. Not because of anything I've done, but because Christ has saved me. So it all comes with that new heart, with a new regenerated conscience. The second thing is this. Christ, by God the Holy Spirit, now lives in your new heart. He is at work making you grow in the fruit of peace. 
in enjoying the peace of Christ. The inner peace of Christ, of course, is always there, isn't it? It is an eternal peace between you and Christ you enjoy. You're always in union with Christ. And Christ always protects this inner peace. When it is threatened, he comes to protect it. He gives you this assurance that you are his. Now what Paul is saying in verse 15 is this. Because we have this inner peace, which comes from a regenerated conscience, which comes from the Holy Spirit living in us, we must continue now to give ourselves to grow in this inner peace. So every Christian has a measure of inner peace. But that inner peace grows as we grow in spiritual maturity. And so Paul therefore commands the Colossians and us, let the peace of Christ now rule in your hearts. What does it mean by this word rule here? Well, the original word for rule here describes the actions of a referee. That's what it describes, like an umpire. Paul is saying, let the peace of Christ in you become the only referee of your heart. You have that inner peace, but let it be your governor. Let it control everything you do. Let that inner peace Christ has given you by his external work on the cross fill every corner of your life. In effect, he's saying, mature now in growing in inner peace. It's possible to be a Christian who is spiritually mature, you have some measure of peace, but your peace is always being buffeted. And that's because you're not growing in inner peace. And Paul here wants us to grow in inner peace. If you have no peace at all, then you are unregenerate. Paul wants each follower of Christ to grow in enjoying the peace of Christ in our inner lives. To grow into spiritual maturity in this area. So what does it look like? How can I, Chola, know that I'm growing in enjoying inner peace from Christ? If Paul was here this morning, what would he expect to see in my life if I'm growing in inner peace? That's a very important question for us to ask ourselves. Well, I think when we are growing in inner peace, of course, we worry less, don't we? We feel less anxious about things going on in our lives. Because we know that God is in control. If you are growing in inner peace, you should have less worry, less anxiety in your life. How do I know? Because Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7 tells me. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be, known, be made known to God. And the peace of God, or the peace of Christ, which surpasses this inner peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you see, as the peace of Christ grows in our hearts, there's less anxiety. So if you're growing in a peace, there should be less anxiety and worry in your life. When we are also growing in inner in, in peace, we should be increasingly dependent on God. Because a heart growing in peace grows in looking to Christ. There should be increasing prayerfulness. Peace is a fruit of believing prayer. If you are prayerless, you lack inner peace. But if you are growing in inner peace, you'll be growing in prayer. 
Because as you grow in prayer, you grow in inner peace. We read that in Isaiah 26, didn't we? Verse 3, you keep him and her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Do you see? Peace coming through looking to God. When we are growing in inner peace, we also grow in something else, thankfulness. People who have inner peace, who are growing in inner peace, they murmur less to God. We say more thank you to God. And that's why Paul ends, you see how Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to each indeed you are called and be thankful. And of course he had said the same thing to the Philippians in Philippians 4 verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be known to God and the peace of God you see that? Which surpasses all understanding will guide your hearts and your minds in Christ. Growing in thanksgiving, a person who's growing in thanksgiving, a person growing in inner peace. When we are growing in inner peace, we are also increasing in hatred of sin. We grow to hate sin that disturbs the peace in us and peace with others. There's no peace for the wicked. That's true as an objective truth, but it's also true as an experiential truth. Are you lacking in peace? Look at your sin. Unrepentant sin. Do you want peace? To grow in inner peace. Repent of your sin. Regardless of the source of that's causing you disturbance. You must deal with your sin if you want to grow in inner peace. We'll come to that. And when we're growing in inner peace, there is a growing desire in us to see other people have this peace. Oh, friends. You know, when the Lord first converted me, brought me to his kingdom, it is a truth that I experienced this peace in me. And I just wanted others to experience that inner peace that comes from Christ. Do you know what I'm talking about? The inner peace that comes from God himself. When you've experienced that, you want others to have it. So a heart growing in inner peace is an evangelistic heart. It knows that true peace is only found in Jesus. And so that heart shares the gospel with others. I wonder, friend, as you're hearing me speak about these things, do you recognize these things in your life? Are you growing in putting sin to death? Are you growing in thankfulness? Are you growing in your prayer life? Are you growing in sharing Christ? Well, if the answer is no, I don't need to sit down with you for a pastoral care session to know that you, lack, you are lacking peace in your life. Because those who are growing in inner peace do these things. They are fruits of inner peace. If the answer is no, it's surely that you're not growing in your inner peace. And I just want to say to you, that is not just bad for you. I know it's terrible for you. But even worse is that it's terrible for people around you. Because there is another thing we should see in our lives when we are growing in inner peace. When we are growing in inner peace, we should be more at peace 
with other people. And that's the main point Paul is driving at really in verse 15. Look at that again. And let the peace of Christ ruin your heart, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. You see, what seems to have happened at Colossae is that the false teachers at Colossae are preaching inner peace through what? Rules and regulation. If you have with us looking at chapter 2, that's the plot. They say you can have all of these things without Jesus, but just following rules and regulation. They say you can have inner peace by, I guess, meditation, severity to the body, those kinds of things. But their gospel is false. It has not brought change in the lives of the people. And Paul says to them, look, these things are of no value. Paul says in chapter 2. They have no value in bringing discipline to the body even. It is a false gospel. And what is done, you see, is that it has robbed these true believers of inner peace of Christ. Those who have been led astray by it. And to make it, to make it, to, to, to make it worse, it seems this false teaching, not only has it failed to deliver inner peace, as a result it's creating division in the church. They are not living as one body. And Paul is writing this letter to say, the true gospel is different. It gives us external peace through God, with God through Christ. And that external peace then produces the inner peace of Christ in our lives. And as we grow in this inner peace, we now grow in living at peace with others. Especially true followers of Christ. And that's how the first sentence and second sentence links together. And let the peace of Christ ruin your heart to which indeed you are called in one body, one church. One body of Christ, the new humanity. Now, if we read verse 15 with verse 11 to 12 in mind, you've got 11, 12, 12 in mind, which we've looked at a number of times. What Paul is saying to the church at Colossae is this. God has made you a new humanity in Christ. You are one body. God chose you before the foundation of the world. He called you in time by the preaching of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he brought you to become one body in Christ. He says, this is now your calling in Christ. Because this is who you are, you must now live it out as one body. You are one in Christ, as I've told you. Christ is all and in home. But you must now live out that truth in practice. And the key for living in peace as one body is to surrender your inner heart to Christ. Each of you individually. Let the peace you have received in Christ grow out of you. Let the inner peace of Christ dominate you, govern you. And as you each individually allow this to govern your heart and guard your heart, you will grow in living at peace with one another. That's simply put, is what this verse is teaching us. Throughout the Bible, God commands his people to live at peace with one another. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14 says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for this, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says this, Now may the God of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Hebrews 12 verse 14 says this, Strive for peace with everyone. And notice the link with putting sin to death for the, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
No holiness, no peace. Romans 12 verse 18 says, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. What does it look like living as a peaceful body? As a peaceful local church? As a peaceful family? As a peaceful work, workplace? As a peaceful neighborhood? We're living in peace as one body, particularly for the church, in practice means living without conflicts. That's the first irony. It means living without sin against each other. Without sinning against each other. It means living without causing trouble to each other. It's a church, a community that is marked by calmness and serenity and powerful love with each other. And this is what Paul wants the church at Colossae to be like. The false teachers at Colossae have been trying to pull other people apart, each other apart. And Paul is saying, don't let Satan divide you. Don't let these guys come and divide you. You must grow in fellowship. You must grow in friendship. You must grow in reconciliation. You must grow in holiness towards each other. Grow in irony. Irony of the art and irony with each other. And Paul, of course, is saying this because he knows that living in peace with other followers of Christ is good for us because it avoids the problem of disunity. And we talked about that last week, the problems of disunity. When there is no peace among us, our spiritual life suffers. Where there is disunity in the church, sin grows. Evangelism suffers. Prayer declines. And the church eventually dies. Peace in the local church is not only good because of what it avoids, but it's also good of the positive benefits that it brings. Peace benefits our work with God, individually and corporately. You know, when we read the book of Acts, we see how the gospel spread, didn't we? Why did it spread? Of course, God was at work through the power of his Holy Spirit. But notice what marked them out. They were united, weren't they? They did everything together. That's Acts 2. But it goes on, Acts 3, Acts 4. The unity of the church, even in the middle of conflict. They were of one mind, and they turned the world upside down. Now, what Paul is saying to us here in verse 15 of Colossians chapter 3 is that if we want to enjoy these benefits of living at peace with each other, we need first to grow in inner peace. I have to keep coming to that. We can't have this outside in. I can't make you live at peace with each other. I can't. Only God can do it. He must first make us individually grow in inner peace. Then we can live with peace with each other. Your personal relationship is important. The personal relationship with Christ is important in growing peace, not only in the church, but wherever you are. If your heart is growing in peace, you relate well with other people. If your heart is not right, if there's no inner peace, if you're not growing in this, you are a threat not only to this church, you are a threat to your family, you are a threat to where you work, you are a threat to this nation. Your heart is the greatest danger you are facing in your own life. So the takeaway today from verse 15 is very simple. 
And I know people read this verse in very, very strange ways, but I hope you are seeing how it fits not together in the passage. So some people use this as sort of a verse they go to if they're praying about someone to marry and say, oh, the peace of God. Suppose it's the peace of God guards my heart. Oh, that's the one I should marry. Don't use it like that. Use it like how, it's, how it is here. This is about peace in, in the inner heart that then leads to transformation of peace in the life, in our lives. The takeaway this morning is simply this. Start growing in your inner peace. It will increase your happiness and it will make all the other relationships you have grow in peace, especially the church in this context. Here is a key answer to a happy family. You being transformed. You growing in inner peace. Regardless of the external circumstances, the problem is not the world out there. It's here in the heart. And of course, this leads to the inevitable question, isn't it? How do we grow our inner peace? How do we grow in letting the peace of Christ rule our heart? I'll be very quick. Let me just give you five things that are there on the outline. I'll be very, very quick, right? Because this is important. How do we grow in inner peace, right? First, you know where we have to start. Make sure you have received a new heart. I can't emphasize that more. Parents, do you want your children to grow in inner peace? They must be born again. Husbands, do you want your wives to grow in wife? Just singular, right? Uh, <laughs> to grow, <laughs> wife singular, right? To grow in inner peace. We are no Mormons. Grow in inner peace. They must be regenerated, truly regenerated. Labor for evidence of true conversion. And I can't emphasize that a bit more. We have so taken the truth of conversion for granted. You know, the Puritans, this is the only subject we're obsessed with. Conversions. Tons and tons and tons. And you read them and you're thinking, but guys, we are born again. What's going on? Then you read it and you understand. It's not something you can presume. I've made so many mistakes in my ministry. And I've only been doing it for a few years. Because of failure to sufficiently appreciate this truth of genuine conversion. Ensure you are truly born again. That's where inner peace starts. If you are still at war against God, your inner life is a dungeon with turmoil and confusion. True peace comes from having a new heart in Christ. That's where we start. Secondly, grow in being thankful. I've already touched on that. Verse 4, that flows directly from verse 15, right? What does it mean to be thankful? Verse 15 tells us, be thankful. Well, to be thankful is to express our gratitude to God, the Father, through Jesus Christ. And I think Paul has added this phrase here, be thankful, because he wants to teach us that thankfulness is a key part of how we grow in inner peace. The more thankful we are, for what God has done, the more inner peace we enjoy in whatever situation. Learn to thank God, especially during afflictions. Now, we're going to have a whole sermon on thankfulness, but actually we're not just yet, right? And um, because it can take a whole sermon to teach us to grow in thankfulness. But I think there are four things we should always thank God for. Thank God for who he is. Thank God for what he has done for us in Christ. And thank God for what God is doing now. Yes, there's a lot going on in your life you're not happy with, but be thankful for what God is doing right now. And usually, you, some of you know me, I, every week I write something called glimpses of grace 
or every month rather, you know, I want to record things, glimpses of grace I've seen. There's a lot of discouragements, but I want to record the glimpses of grace. What, what is God doing in, in the life, in my life, in the life of our family, in the life of the church? You want to record those, and at the end of the month, beginning of each month, you want to be thankful to God for what he's been up to. So I, I encourage you to, to do that, and I'm happy to have a chat with you about how I've used that. So thank God for what God is doing now, and thank God for what he has promised to do. There's more to come, isn't it? We are waiting for the new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. So thankfulness is the second thing. The third thing, keep growing in having the reverent fear of God. When sin gets in, peace goes out. I've said that. It is that simple. Every sin has a terrible and bitter ending. If you want to grow in peace, grow in hating sin. When I am tempted, I need to ask myself whether I am willing to suffer the consequence of lost peace. The reason many of us are not growing in inner peace is because we foolishly allow ourselves to be robbed of peace by our willful sin. If you want peace, put sin to death. And a key part of doing that is to regularly confess and repent of your sin. Beloved, let us have that as part of our daily prayer life. Regular confession of sin, especially at the end of the day. Ongoing repentance settles our hearts and keeps a clear conscience before God. Your conscience is like a window John MacArthur illustrated, isn't it? It becomes dirty. How do we clean it? Well, we clean it through repentance and confession in Christ. A dirty conscience robs us of peace. Be sincere in your repentance before God. Don't look at others. Look at your vow and sinful heart and weep for it before God. Let the blood of Christ wash it afresh. Fourth thing, keep looking to Christ our peace. Prayer, isn't it? True inner peace that leads to true peace with others is not our peace. It comes from the peace of Christ. That's why it's called here the peace of Christ. It is, in fact, the person. It is Christ himself. Prayer is one of the carousel that the Christ will enter in, isn't it? Go to Christ. Ask him to make his peace abound in your life. If you want to grow in inner peace, you must pray for it. And get others also to pray for it for you. Oh, beloved, God is not going to give you something if you're so proud. If you want to pretend among us that your life is so well structured, it's, so, it's ticked all the boxes. God is interested in blessing someone like that. God is interested in people that are broken for him. People who are willing to ask others honestly for prayer. And I thank God that the Lord is really helping us as a church in this area. And uh, please, some of you are doing that, uh, sharing your burdens. Please carry on. Because that is the way you grow in inner peace. Final thing, and we'll end here. Grow in delighting in the means of grace. So important. Make it a priority to always gather for worship. Take the Lord's Supper. Attend Bible study. Pray privately. Pray with others. You know, it's shocking how many believers I come across who are joyless in their lives. They have no inner peace. And it raises question whether they're truly converted. It, to me, because I don't seem to see any serious peace. But then peace is an internal thing, so uh, we must be careful about that. Perhaps it's a different sermon. You know? <laughs> Only you know if you lack peace as you sit here. But it shocks me when I get a sense that they have no sense of true peace in their lives. But then it doesn't surprise me because there are some people who trample the means of grace. They hardly pray. They hardly gather for worship. If they gather for worship, they're satisfied only to be here in the morning. 
When the Lord's table is present, they are not taking it seriously. They are not studying their Bible. Their prayer life is non-existent. They haven't established a routine of worship in the home. If they are married. I hate to quote a mystic. I'm not a fan of the mystics. I'm not saying anything they did is wrong, but I hate to quote them. But Thomas Akempis was surely right when he said, All men desire peace, but very few desire those things which make for peace. He was right. All men, all of us desire peace, but very few of us desire those things which make for peace. Beloved, God will not grow us on our terms. He is the doctor, you are the patient. If you want to be spiritually healthy, you must take the medicine he prescribes. And God has given you the gracious means of grace as the means to grow you in inner peace. That does not be like foolish Jephthah, who rejected the grace of God by inventing his own pagan sacrifice within the walls of Israel. Let us not be like that. God has prescribed the means. We have a book, we believe it, and we must practice it. And we must submit to all of it. You cannot heal yourself by your own hands. Only through the shed blood of the Redeemer and the work of the Spirit. So then we've concluded and I thank you for your patience. The key truth we have learned this morning is simply this. That growing in inner peace, in the inner peace of Christ, grows peace with one another. And how do we grow when we do those five things I've just mentioned? Make sure you have received a new heart from God. Grow in being thankful. And if you want to talk, if you're happy to talk with me about how you can grow in thankfulness, I, I'm happy to have a discussion about that. And keep growing in having the reverent fear of God. Keep looking to Christ, our peace. Uh, that was the fourth thing. And grow in delighting in the means of grace.